guys. My name's Ashley Whitmore. Um, I heard about your podcast from a fellow recovery. I don't know what the term would be. Um, but I was born and raised in Chattanooga. My husband and I both were raised in the Independent Baptist Church there. Um, we met in the youth group, really, you know, kind of a classic situation. Um, and whenever I started listening to your podcast, so much of it resonated with me personally and my husband. We are missionaries to the Amazon jungle in Brazil. We don't live there full time currently. Um, we came back a couple years ago for my husband, um, ended up having to have open heart surgery, but we have a ministry that we lead and guide down there and that we're a part of and travel back to frequently. But anyway, so we grew up in an independent Baptist church and I resonate with so many of the things you were talking about, your King James Bible being signed. And I had that whole, you know, like the more signatures you had, like the more, the holier you were. And so all of that resonated with us for sure. Um, and I remember sitting on the front row as a teenager, you know, you had to be on the front row with your Bible and your notes open to take notes with your sermon that was, you know, each point had to start with the same letter. And I just remember sitting there being like, man, my pastor is going to sit so close to Jesus in heaven. And just growing up in that atmosphere where it was just fear-based. And I remember like checklist Christianity was like my life and I did all the right things. I was literally the poster child. I went to public school. I remember having my Bible on top of my books and, you know, going to see you at the pole and like all of the things, wearing the Christian t-shirts on any, you know, dress down day that I could. And, um, just following all the rules and doing all the right things. And my husband and I, like I said, we met in the youth group and we grew up together and we went on mission trips together and God called us to be missionaries. And so we followed that route. And um, after we graduated, we did not go to Tennessee Temple, but we did go to Word of Life, Argentina. We lived there for a year where we, you know, learned all the things you were and weren't supposed to do. And honestly, none of it ever really resonated with us. We always knew in our hearts that something wasn't right. And but we played the game. We followed the rules or at least knew how to hide when we weren't following the rules. Um, and the church we grew up in, actually, two pastors, two separate pastors had to resign um, in like a 10-year time frame, maybe a little bit longer for inappropriate relations with their secretaries. Um, and yet they were, you know, the heroes of the faith. And I'm sure if I said the names that they would be familiar to you guys but um yeah so we came back from word of life and just kind of beaten down by all the rules and just not really feeling it you know but still feeling called to missions so we joined a mission organization in Chattanooga that was not quite as legalistic but definitely only barely towed the line and um it ironically wasn't until we became missionaries that we started being exposed to other churches because, you know, you got to share what you're going to do and tell people you get like three minutes to share your vision. And so we were young and wild and free and um, we're traveling around all these churches, you know, all these churches that would have been bad churches, like, you know, Southern Baptist churches and things. And we're getting more exposed to other, I guess, considered denominations than what we grew up in. And we started just more and more being like, okay, this just, the people we're meeting are awesome. The The way they're talking about Jesus is so different. It's not fear-based. Something's happening here. And so we just started, you know, praying more and seeking, actually seeking God more and actually reading our Bible instead of just doing our quiet time word of lifestyle. And um, so we were married at that point. And I'll never forget kind of the turning point in our 
our Christian walk, I guess, was really when my husband met me for lunch in the Sonic parking lot in Easter Ridge one day. I worked at the home office of the mission organization we were with, and um, he said, I got to read something to you. And he opened his Bible to Romans chapter 9, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't the King James Version. I think at this point we had, you know, taken that nosedive out of that mindset, and he just read Romans 9 to me. We both just kind of sat there in silence like, okay this does not line up with so much that we were taught. Let's, let's undo this thing. Let's start from scratch. Let's, let's explore every question. Like let's question everything we've been taught. And so we did. And we began sort of this 10 year journey now of finding out who Jesus really is. And so we continued raising support though. We went with this mission organization and we were sent out from this church. We were the poster children, you know, the first couple to be raised in this church and sent out from this church and, um, we were going to go save all the people in the Amazon jungle, my husband's pilot, and we were going to save the world, you know, because that's what you're going to do when you're an independent Baptist missionary and you go and save people. And so um, that was kind of the message that we portrayed because that's how you raise money. And so that's what we did. And we get down there. We had a going away um, party celebration thing. Almost 200 people showed up and I'm you know, six months pregnant with number two, we've got our son, everyone's excited, and we get down to the jungle, and God flipped our lives completely upside down, <laughs> and we had to die to every dream we ever knew, and we just, God humbled us big time, and we realized, holy cow, we are not here to save anybody, we're here to learn, and we're here to serve alongside our brothers and sisters, who turns out they know a lot about Jesus, and they know Jesus a lot better than we do, even though growing up, I could check every single box that there was to check it had been checked off and yet I really think that it wasn't until I was you know 22 probably like 22 23 uh, 10 years ago now that I really met Jesus for the first time even though I grew up doing all the right things I mean I remember vacation Bible school I would like scare kids into getting saved and make them pray the prayer I mean that's who I was and then growing up and going overseas and being faced literally with poverty at my doorstep and we adopted a child from the streets there and like just so many things that were outside of anything. I remember being like, when did I ever hear a sermon about the love of Jesus? When did I ever hear a sermon about loving the orphan and widow, which is what Jesus says is true religion. And just going through this really breaking down of everything of who we were, of our, you know, our image of ourselves, the image of God. And we're still on that journey, but um, just kind of breaking free of that. And we ended up losing support from that sending church because we repeatedly would not conform to what they requested of us. Um, we would not only post King James Version, for example, on our posts on social media. Um, we didn't report numbers, and they didn't like that we didn't report numbers. We did not start a church with a sign on the front, you know, that says Baptist on it. Um, and there, I mean, the, the offenses were, uh, were many, there were not a lack of offenses on our part. You know, I had a nose ring and we had tattoos and just all of these offenses and I didn't wear dresses and it just, the list could go on, honestly. I mean, we got several hateful emails of people who informed us very clearly of why we would no longer be receiving their support and, um, Anyway, and so that was a hard thing to have the church that you were literally born and we I started going there when I was probably about 10. So, but raised there, we were in the youth group, we were youth leaders after that. We were sent from there and they promised to support us and all these things and then to come when we came back from the states unexpectedly, um they had completely turned their back on us and we were I mean, that was our whole childhood 
in Chattanooga was our church. And so we came back to the city we grew up in feeling like we knew no one. And there were, I have to say, there were a handful of people who did love us regardless, and they stuck by us. And most of them, it's because they themselves got free of that mentality. But now we run an organization that's multicultural, multilingual, and we love it. And we would never, ever, ever in a million years step back into that bondage that we grew up in and um, yeah, I just love sharing this story because I want others to be free from the legalism and the obsessive compulsive um, checklist Christianity is what I always call it. It's just a checklist Christianity, and that is not um, – it is for freedom that we are free. And so thank you guys for what you're doing. I'd love to share more of my story um, of how God saved us out of that if, you know, I had the opportunity. But I'll keep listening regardless. Thank you guys so much for what you're doing and the message you're sending. The Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast starts in three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy of put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, JC, Nathan, and Brian, and uh, we're excited to be here today. And uh, we've got a special podcast for you today. We're going to be interviewing Eric Skorzynski of the Preacher Boy Podcast. And before we jump into that, we want to thank one of our sponsors, Jay Radio. Jay Radio is an online music platform that has music from all kinds of genres in the Christian world. Stuff for mood music, if you need something for dinner or for nap time, or for just relaxing during the day, J Radio has your playlist. You can go to jradio.com, check them out online. They've got an app that's going to be dropping for iPhone and Android here in just a few weeks. It's J Radio sponsoring Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm breathing in and out, so it's better not. Brian, how are things yeah. up in Virginia? Hey, man, things are going great. JC, speaking of breathing, you were walking around showing the new building, oh, and you man. actually had to apologize for breathing. <laughs> I was so out of breath, guys. It was I was so excited. I just didn't know what to do, but I watched it back, and I was like, <sighs> yeah, like this, was... I am so fat right now. Is that because the building was so big? Were you, like, walking around the wall seven times? No, it's because I was walking. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, but look, the way you were breathing, I literally pictured you walking around the building with your phone in one hand, and a champy's piece of fried chicken in the other hand. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sounds <Thanks>. awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, For those that reference, our, the church I pastor, we are building a brand new building. We've been meeting in a storefront for seven years now, and uh, it is incredible. We're growing just under 1,000 now, and we're building a building uh, that will seat a lot more than where we're at. Uh, it's going to be right at the 750-800 mark, and so we're going from 302 seats to that. And so I got excited, man. When I get excited, I guess I sound like my dog and just start breathing really heavy. <laughs> How many services are you guys running? Right we're now? at three services now: okay. nine, ten thirty, and eleven fifty-nine. So Is we the don't plan have to... to go to two. Yeah. So we put eleven fifty-nine. People are like, why'd you do that? So we don't have to put PM on everything because you know if we did twelve, people would be showing up at midnight because. Yeah. I like 11.59. That's cool. We had a special treat this past weekend. We actually had Nathan 
in Virginia preaching at Hope Church Danville. Big time. Man, he preached, oh, man, he preached such an awesome message. Did you Google he, it? He highlighted the desperation <laughs> of a lot of different people, but then he ended the message by talking about Jesus and just directing all of our attention and our focus to the gospel. It was wonderful. I would encourage everyone to go to ourhopechurch.com and listen to that message. You can ignore all of the ones I've been preaching for years, <laughs> but I think you should definitely listen to that one. That's Brian, awesome. I absolutely enjoyed being with you guys. You are a very gracious host, and the leadership conference was awesome. Then got to preach two times on Sunday morning, incredible crowds there at Hope Church, and plus I got to spend time with you and your family. My wife and my three daughters loved it. They did not want to leave. They were crying as we were walking out of the door. And we just had a blast with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Man, now I know yeah. if you can afford Nathan that I should come up sometime. Cause that's, that's big banks right <laughs> you there. You can't afford JC. <laughs> we got some well, traveling you know. coming up here in the next few weeks. You're heading out on a mission trip going to the country of, I forgot. Nepal. Nepal. It's cold there. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to sound like me while you're yeah. hiking the mountains. <laughs> yeah, 16 days. It's going to be quite a trip, and that's I can't awesome. wait to talk about it going into Paul and we've got a special RFP extra coming up where Nate is going to be possibly uh, talking with somebody that has been on the podcast before who's in a country that, alert uh, who's in a country that he's going to be landing in and uh, talking with him I'm traveling a little bit I'll be in uh, Boise Idaho here in just a couple days speaking at a youth conference up there I'm sorry yeah Boise there is nothing <laughs> out there I look for Napoleon Dynamite every time I go <laughs> but when you compare like Boise Idaho He's going to be landing in Kathmandu. That just sounds so mysterious and so cool. <laughs> it makes Danville seem like the most boring place <laughs> in the world to live. Until you drink the water. <laughs> it's going to be cool, though. I'm excited. And you know, the best part of Nathan is his family. You know, God's really good. Amen. Great family. And, you know, people hear you on a podcast like this, or they hear you preach online, and they really don't understand your life. And I think it's awesome to know that behind each of us, there are amazing families yeah. and friends, and uh, this is just a part of our lives, not our lives. And, you know, the the podcast is continuing to reach folks. We talked about this last time that we don't even know really who all is listening. And, you know, Brian, you said it best, I think, on the last episode. You said this is a ministry that yes. we don't even understand. I was I had two conversations today for about 45 minutes with two different people. At uh, One was at a uh, radio station I was visiting, and then the other one uh, was at uh, Moe's just getting lunch. And a lady broke down at lunch there and just in tears going through counseling after all the years that she spent in the IFB world and just how much the podcast has meant to them. And I'm telling you, wow. it is a weekly occurrence that we're running into people people who are listening and finding hope and it's really doing what we're hoping it's helping them it's encouraging them but it's also challenging some folks speaking of running into people i had justin spurgeon and Come his on. wife at my small group last that night that is so crazy in trenton that georgia all from the way from pennsylvania <laughs> yeah and they actually rode in a van they didn't have any horses pulling the van <laughs> i happen to love amish country it's one of my favorite places i love amish people too i'm married a former one nice really y'all know my wife was former amish i think i knew that oh. kim yoder and then, thank goodness she's been saved, so she's a Groves now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, speaking of podcasts that's making ripples in this world, if you will, waves, uh, we, we have been a fan on social media, on podcasts. Uh, we're listening to other folks that are, are uh, digging into this world that we're exposing and challenging and highlighting. And uh, we ran in uh, right about the same time that we started the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast 
podcast, uh, a gentleman by the name of Eric Skorzynski. Uh, he came around with the Preacher Boys podcast, and uh, we are excited today. We're going to have Eric on and just kind of talk a little bit about what the Preacher Boys podcast is, uh, what he's hoping to accomplish through that, and uh, what he's done already just a few episodes in. So everybody, welcome Eric Skorzynski. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, to be honest, when you guys first launched, I was thinking, oh, someone's doing it right before I'm about to launch mine. So it's going <laughs> to suck all the wind out of my sails. But I love that you guys are focusing in on such a specific important part, which is the spiritual abuse side. Yeah. Uh, whereas my show, while not going explicitly on the spiritual side, does cover you know, the physical and mental side of, of abuse. And so um, really love your guys' show and uh, have appreciated listening. The minute I heard the beat drop on the first uh, <laughs> intro and I heard John Hamblin yell, Jesus was not a bartender. I was like, okay, this is good. I'm into this. You know? This is going to be all right. So what got you to the place? Because you're doing a documentary as well. Will you just kind of lay down the foundation of why the podcast, why the documentary, what got you to this place today? So I've always, um, I mean, for as long as I've been involved with the IFB and, and even longer, I've been involved with media. And so um, I spent, I spent the first 19 years or 18 years of my life um, growing up in the IFB, went to a, you know, went to a school with like 160 kids, K4 through 12th grade. Um, and uh, basically that whole time, like my, my free time was spent with my friend's dad's VHS camera, like shooting little short videos and, you know, dumb interpretations of movies that we'd already watched like and, adam goldberg from the goldbergs right exactly <laughs> but but nerdier yeah, um, right, right. <laughs> and, christian uh, goldbergs right and so so we did that and then um it's actually media that took me away from going to bible college i was registered for west coast um, baptist college wow and mm. was getting ready to attend did not want to attend was fed up with the movement which i can get into that story um and was just really disenfranchised and like the God that I had been presented with up to that point, I was just tired of. And I was like, I, it's not worth devoting my life here. Yeah. So I was just kind of done with it. I thought I'll do my one year Bible class, you know, that people want me to go to and then go off. Um, and I ended up getting a call from someone, which is a long story, but it was someone I had met at a Christian camp and he was running a media company out of Fresno and I'm still good friends with him to this day. And he said, you can go to Bible college or you can go to India and shoot a documentary for me and then come intern for me for two years and shoot all over the country with churches. And I thought, okay, I'll be right there. So I ended up deciding to pivot. Um, I worked for two years with him. We shot a documentary, um, which I can send you guys a copy of. We shot a documentary in India in August, um, which is about the time I was supposed to start Bible college. I spent the next two years shooting promos for churches and nonprofits across the U.S. Uh, ended up one of those nonprofits I worked with had an orphanage and did leadership training. So I quit that job and worked with them full time. So I spent two years uh, working with a nonprofit that did work in the Dominican, Cuba, and India as well. Um, I married to my wife. We moved to India for um, what was supposed to be a year. She got sick. We ended up coming home after a lot of struggle there. And um, kind of at this point I'm now working doing the podcast doing uh production for people and really doing a lot of branding work so um the documentary seemed like a normal way to deal with all the things that were on my mind um it just seemed like a safe way to do that 
And one of the amazing things to me is just the timing of all this. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence. God put this on our heart, and J.C. last year for probably six months kept bringing it back up to me, and I was all for it, but I really didn't have time for it. So J.C. got this ball rolling and came back, and then the way Brian uh, was there at the perfect time, and we had the conversation with him, and turned out he knew J.C. And then, like you said, when we started doing this, we heard about you, and it was just amazing that it feels like the time is right for this. One of the things I think, Eric, even your introduction clears up, I think a lot of people have been confused thinking maybe that the Recovering Fundamentalist and then the Preacher Boys podcast was one and the same, and this is actually the first time we're, we're having the opportunity to speak, and we're, we're two different groups of people doing two different things. So you have not been an independent fundamental Baptist pastor. Uh, you're somebody who was brought up in that world and now are, are you know exposing it, what you experienced through your podcast. Right. And, and, and I think a lot of the, the connection I've had, I've, I've had just through, through doing media, it's connected me with a lot of churches. I've been at with good churches, good pastors. I've seen some really bad churches and, and bad leadership in some of those churches. And so I've gotten, although I was only, you know, I was only in it from a, you know, congregant perspective, it, it really did. I got to see churches all over the country. And one of the things, and we can get into this is I saw a lot of the a lot of the negative similarities that were echoed across every church that I went to and, and common themes throughout. Um, and so, yeah, it is really interesting that we're all sitting down for the first time because um, when JC, when you called me, I was like, well, this makes sense. We should probably talk at some point since we're both doing the same thing in parallel directions. Um, and so it's been cool. Like I said, you guys covering the spiritual side and, you know, me getting to focus in on the the mental and physical side has been really, really cool. And yeah. I've, I've enjoyed seeing, I was just listening to one of your episodes this morning and it was just interesting hearing you guys talk about things that wouldn't necessarily make it on my show and vice versa. I think us having, you know, that pastoral view uh, maybe changes the way, the way we look, you know, kind of in a sense from the inside out and then, you know, maybe to the degree to which we look and then having your perspective, it would be completely different than mine because, you know, I'm hearing you say I went, you know, to that school for those years and I attended those different churches. And my story is my dad was a pastor. He was evangelist. We traveled 50 weeks a year and six nights a week. We were in different independent fundamental Baptist churches. Then I became an independent fundamental Baptist pastor. And so I think my lens is completely different than your lens which is pretty awesome to hear different people give different perspectives on the same thing. Yeah, it is. And one of the things I was going to ask you, uh, Eric, on this episode is one of the things you're not able to do on your podcast or maybe just by the nature of your podcast, you have chosen not to talk a whole lot about yourself or about your own experiences. But the way we've set our podcast up, we have we have leaned really heavily into stories and so I was wondering if you'd be willing to share us a little bit about your spiritual journey. You dropped a little hint, and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute on your last episode or one of the last few episodes. But I was wondering if you could kind of share a little bit about your story as far as just your spiritual journey. Right. Well, and and just to explain for anyone who's listening to this and is thinking, you know, why is he not sharing? And and the, I've had some people reach out and ask, why don't you talk about your spiritual side or, or things like this? And the Preacher Boys podcast and for people I'm sure will tune into it after listening to this, the goal was to have a platform where anybody from any background 
could have a safe space to talk about abuse. And, and the goal is really to give victims an opportunity to, to share, which most of them haven't. And it's to give people who aren't victims an opportunity to understand the process of abuse and how it happens. Yeah, and I think you've um, done a real good job of communicating that. And I think that's a wise I, approach. I appreciate that. Um, but since we're on the recovering fundamentalist, I will share my, my background. So um, I did grow up in a tamer version of fundamentalism it was mainly ministries that we were partnered with, or we would spend time with at youth conferences or things like that, where I saw the crazy kind of come out a little bit. Um, and so like we had the normal stuff that, you know, dress standards, the, you don't listen to music with a beat kind of thing like that, that kind of conversation. Um, you don't go to movie theaters and, and so on. Um, and we also, from a spiritual side, we had a lot of, the um you want to please god you want to give god your best um those kind of phrases were very common um especially um it's it's almost funny talking to my mom about it now because her experience in a lot of ways differed from mine being on the youth group side of like the messages we heard were very much like if you listen to this type of music it doesn't please god if you dress a certain way it doesn't please god if you're not involved in enough ministries it doesn't please god do you want god to look at you and be happy or be angry and just very toxic theology. And essentially my view, my view of God getting ready to graduate and go to Bible college was there's nothing I can do, which is almost halfway there to the gospel message. There's nothing I can do. That's going to please this guy. Yeah. And so why am I slaving away? Mm. And for, and for what reason? And mm. um, I, I can't tell you how many evangelists would come in my, my pastor never said this, but guest speakers would come in and they would speak freely like this is they would say things like, even if you're not sure God's real, or even if you don't know about the Christian message in its entirety, don't you want to just ask Jesus in your heart? So you have that fire insurance, because the worst thing that could happen is you die without it and you're going to go to hell. So at least get that fire insurance and then find out more. And it was kind of my thought process. Like I wouldn't have verbalized it this way, but I was like, well, I have my fire insurance. I have the date, you know, my Bible and I'm good to go. Um, so why do I need to waste time in Bible college and all these things? So my plan was to go to Bible college for one year, move somewhere else in the country, do my media stuff I wanted to do. And then like, hopefully no one asked me about church. Um, not going to Bible college, at least at West Coast, was probably the smartest thing. And I say it's sovereign that God didn't allow me to go because I would have, I think that would have put a final nail in the casket as far as like pushing me out of Christianity as a whole. Um, but I ended up going to the church in, in Fresno that was connected to the media ministry I was working at. Um, the pastor there, um, I'll name drop him. I don't you know, I don't know if he expects advertisements on all these shows, but I named dropped him on mine. So we'll see. But um, his name's Joshua Ermler. And um, he was, he was kind of on a path as well, rediscovering kind of what you guys are doing. It was, it was, what is the gospel? What is, what is our job as Christians? What's our responsibility? What is, what's the standard and what's, what's actual theology. Mm-hmm. And so he, he very heavily drove, like I attended the church that was part of my job like I worked there so I went but I I wasn't at a place where I really wanted to talk about that and he just created an atmosphere where like that's what everyone talked about was it wasn't like it wasn't the way it used to be for me growing up where it was like oh I want to impress someone with how many verses I know or this knowledge that I have 
it was the the lifeblood of the church was what is the gospel what is the gospel and i it's funny because i would go through these ebb and flows of being like i know what the gospel is it's jesus died for our sins realize you're a sinner and accept him in your heart that's the gospel okay done and he was like no you realize the gospel is for believers too mm. and and that was the first time i'd ever really heard that explained that way and so um between him and between me starting to get, I became a voracious reader. Um, it started actually, funnily enough, um, with Mark Driscoll. Um, he, I was the prime demographic for Mark Driscoll at the time. Me too. Um, yeah, and so yep. not me. <laughs> so 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 listening to Mark Driscoll though, and I just found him by chance. I looked up something my pastor had said, and I looked him up. I looked it up. I found Mark Driscoll. Um, he seemed. I was like, man he's so gracious compared to all the preachers that used to come into our church. <laughs> so it's, it's so funny now, but, um, but he would, he just was like, he had such a big view of God in his sermon. Yeah. And then he would reference people. And I was like, Oh, he just referenced John Calvin. What does John Calvin say? So I was reading the little pamphlets from Ligonier with excerpts from Calvin. I was reading John MacArthur. I was reading um, Timothy Keller. I was reading like all these different people. And um, R.C. Sproul's holiness of God was like shattered my brain like and and reading all these books and understanding all this time i'd been worried about location in the sense of okay what do i have to do to not go to hell and that was what was preached was you don't want to go to hell so follow jesus and the gospel really is understanding christ's position as lord Mm -hmm. and our responsibility and our role as a created being to worship him and so the location that we should be worried about is our proximity to our creator who gives us the ultimate way to live and gives us ultimate joy and peace and not, we want to be in heaven away from pain and suffering and struggle. And uh, John Piper actually uh, says, if you had everything you ever wanted, if all your family, if everyone you could ever be with was there in heaven and you could live there forever with them and God wasn't there, would that be enough for you? Hmm. And, and that kind of questioning just really blew my mind of like, it's better to be with Jesus in the worst situation than to be walking on streets of gold without Jesus. And that's the core gospel message is understanding the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the fact that there is no life outside of him. And so that is what kind of pushed me into going and saying like, I'm going to leave this. I want to start doing some, some of the missions work I was doing. Um, and I, I was able like, I just, it, for me, it was like the lights were on and it was like, how was I in church for 20 years and never understood the core mm. principle of Christianity, which is that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you this, beautiful. you and Nathan are going to be best friends because you said Piper, <laughs> Calvin, R.C. Sproul. <laughs> our, our stories are very similar. Yeah. And I was also going to ask you, Eric, are you sure you're not a preacher? Because <laughs> yeah. that was one of the most solid presentations of the gospel that I've heard in a long time. That was awesome. It's it's been a while. Unless you uh, just googled I've... that, that was really good. <laughs> yeah, you know. Hold on. Let me shut off my teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> I love one thing that you brought out. Um, you know, you heavily emphasizing Jesus. I was, I was preaching a few days ago um, at a at a pastor's conference, and uh, my subject happened to be the gospel. And when you limit the gospel to the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and you miss the fact that Jesus is the gospel, the entirety of his life, um, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his soon return. And then, as you said, um, the fact that our lives, our marriages, our, our work ethic, our worship, 
on a daily basis. Everything is in correlation with who he is, uh, that in all things Christ might have the preeminence, Colossians uh, chapter 1 would say. I love the fact that uh, you emphasized that the gospel truly is Jesus and a full understanding of who he is as Lord and that we bow all that we are bowing to all that he is. Mm. I love that. And it's, it's so funny too. And, and it's, well, I guess sad is a better word is that I remember so many, I just remember so many times, like when we would have special events for Sundays and it was like, we're going to have a lot of visitors. So we're really going to hit the gospel hard Mm. on. And it was, it's looking back now and, and looking at scale at the amount of, the amount of, I mean, you guys have covered some of it on the show, like just the amount of trauma, abuse, of power, abuse of people within the church. It's because the gospel was not preached every yeah. Sunday. Yeah. It was, it was moralism dotted with, Hey, uh, there was a church I attended. And I actually remember looking at my notes after the service and saying, if you took Jesus's name out of the verse that he read at the beginning of the sermon, nothing in the sermon would change. Any, any person could wow. come in the church and say, you should be a better person, a better husband, and all these things. But if you take away the the formula to be those things and realize you can only be those things when empowered by Christ, you're preaching moralism. And you, your guys' episode on legalism, I'm halfway through right now, but that's that's the core mm. issue with legalism. It's, it's I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps yeah. and become the best Christian I can be instead of realizing Christ was the perfect Christian and we're empowered by him. That's right. It's yeah. just such a, a radical shift in, in perspective. Yeah, the focus of the Christian life is keeping our hearts and our minds stayed on Jesus. Um, you know, the idea that we're going to do better or be better or that we're suddenly going to turn over this new leaf that's going to reintroduce to the world a brand new us. It's just a false philosophy. And um, every day, keeping my heart and my mind focused on Jesus and knowing that, uh, well, when Christ, who is our life, the Bible would say, you know, that he is all that we are, uh, all that we hope and all that we have, it's all wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus. That's good. That's so awesome. So Eric, part of the podcast that you have created is helping. And I I think really giving a platform for folks to come out of uh, some of the darkness that they've been living in. And they're discovering life in Jesus, but they're also going back and dealing with a lot of pain at a very deep level to the point that we're not even touching on on this podcast. Um, You're taking this podcast and exposing a lot of stuff at a very deep, dark level um, that is making some big-time waves amongst uh, these circles the work of exposing, I believe, is a godly work because it is evil, evil, evil in and of itself that these churches and these leaders are covering up yeah. things that would be wrong even outside of the church. And uh, in Corinthians, he's, Paul says that you're, you're doing things that aren't even named among the Gentiles. And so you are doing something that I think is really important, although we have all mentioned that it, it does kind of get on this dark level. And it does mm. feel, you know, listening to some of the shows, it feels dirty. It feels dark. Yeah. But it is such, I believe it honors God because God does not honor covering up sin. And so what you're doing, I believe, is serving the people who were caught up in that. It's serving people who had no idea that was going on. And it's also mm. serving as a warning for churches and leaders that we should be, of all people, uh, people of integrity and people mm. that 
expose the truth, and we can't walk in fear. And I think something else it's doing is giving freedom to those that have been trapped by something that's happened to them for so long, and they're right. finding that freedom in Jesus that we talk about so much that this is a platform that's helping them find that freedom that they've longed for for so long. You want to talk into that a little bit, Eric? Yeah, well, um, one of my one of my friends, and and she's the she's the one who just filed the lawsuit against Tiles, um, and you can find that info on my website. I'm, I'm not going to plug myself throughout the whole thing, but um, on preacherboysdoc.com, that's preacherboysdoc.com. Uh, there's a tab. If you don't look at anything else, Writer versus Hiles um, is one of the tabs on there, and she's the one who um, is currently filing that lawsuit against the the church and um, the state of Hiles, and um, and just she, for clarity, was, just for clarity, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's uh, against David, right? Is that the it's son? against the it's against um, First Baptist Church of Hammond, okay, uh, Hiles Anderson College, and uh, David Hiles, okay. But she's she's behind that. I won't go too far unless you want to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but the the reason I bring her up is she recently testified. Um, she has an organization that works to end the statute of limitations laws in various states. And uh, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but she read a statistic at the at the Indiana government building where she was where she was speaking, and she basically was pointing out the fact that most victims of childhood trauma don't come out or are not mentally ready to come out until they're almost twenty or thirty. Mm. Um, there's an exact age range that um, studies have shown that that people are typically ready to come out. But that's something that's really sad about the show. Um, and one of the goals of the show is to make this not be the case. There's people growing up in these churches where they feel, and, and many of my guests have said it, where they feel that they cannot come forward because the world, there is no world outside of their church. Mm-hmm. They, they, they play it out in their head. And so these survivors of these atrocities, some of them raped by youth pastors, you know, are going and saying, well, if I go to my pastor, the pastor is going to tell me that I'm sinning and trying to hurt someone's character or hurt someone's reputation. They're going to, they're going to shut it down. And they don't even understand, like, cause I've asked us and, and I've asked us, I said, Hey, how come you didn't think to go to the police or, or what did you have a plan to do that? And they thought, I didn't even think the police would do anything. Cause I thought they would, the pastor would tell them to go away. Hmm. That's how much power they thought that they were against. And so what I want the show to do is one people who have experienced trauma and don't have any legal recourse, don't have any ability to, to end that, that pain on their side can find some comfort in knowing there's other people like them. There's people who support them, care about them and love them. And for people who are one of my biggest goals, like when I see people downloading the show, I hope half three fourths of it are people sneaking the show that are in these environments that are listening to something they might not be supposed to, and understand that, oh, this is my story. This is what's happening to me. And there is an option for me to leave. There is a world outside of this. And so it's been both, it's been both a great thing. And it's been a really painful thing to, I can't tell you how many messages I've gotten from people who aren't ready to share on the show, but just want to tell me because, you know, they haven't told anybody and people who say, I wish there was something that could be done, but it's too late now. Yeah. And, and so, but I get so many messages. I mean, I, I scroll through just, it's an endless scroll of people saying this happened to me. It's all the same story repeated, copy and pasted across the United States. And um, even the missionary families overseas. 
And um, I'm just really thankful that there's been a chance. Like I, I'm really not, if you listen to episodes, I don't talk very much about the episode. I'm just really thankful that it gives a platform for people to share their story. And someone messaged me today that I've known a long time and said, I just found out about your show. Um, and they told me that they were raped at 24 mm. and they said, I, I blamed myself for five years because I was like the way I was taught made me feel like it was my fault because I'm the one that has this body. I'm the one that was dressed the way I was dressed. Mm. And that's tra- like, that should not be the case. It, it, the, the first place a victim of abuse should be able to go is to a church. Yeah. And, and that shouldn't be the place that I shouldn't right. be scared to this day to put my daughter into a church nursery. Yeah. You know, as, that's, as, that's backwards. Yeah. And as a pastor, I realize that there is a high responsibility mm-hmm. for us and we have a high level of accountability because people trust us and we've been entrusted with the gospel. I had a, I got a message today from a personal friend uh, in a pastor's chat group that I'm a part of, and he shared something that was going on at their church. And as he began to tell this in the beginning, I was like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, they're covering it up there. But he began to lay this out that as soon as they heard the story that came out on a youth retreat, they immediately contacted the, the authorities and went to the police and talked to them. And in their case, it was the police who didn't act on it. It took them months, and they kept checking back in and said, look, we're trying to do everything we can do. And they were completely honorable, completely above board, handling, handling it on their side. And, and I, that encourages me to know that there are churches like that. And I think most churches would uh, try to act in a way, but the ones that usually get the press are the ones that handle it wrong. And there, there are so many out there that don't honor people and and honor the high level of authority they've been given. Yeah, I think, too, um, I would be interested, Eric, in hearing you talk out how these victims describe pastors having that level of access, you know, because it's fearful. Uh, I know that what Nathan's saying is true, that people trust us, and, and they should. And yet, you know, Nathan, you have you have three daughters that were over at our house this past weekend. I can't imagine walking back into the room alone with one of your daughters or inviting young girls like that into my office. I think, you know, I'm, is it that the people are at the church so much, the building so much, is it that they just trust the pastors? Do they, do they manipulate and find ways to gain access into these individuals' lives so that they're spending mass amounts of time alone with them. I know in the case of Jack Scott, he was taking this young girl even across other state lines. So I would be interested in hearing that. Yeah. I mean, so again, the cases are photocopies of each other. Um, It it goes back as far as Jack Hiles. I mean, Jack Hiles was in um, a consensual uh, adulterous relationship. I mean, that's pretty well documented. Right. but I mean, he had a salt, like a, a door on his office and then the door to his secretary's office was in his office. And it's like, that's just not a, to have that private connection between the two of you as a pastor is not wise. Um, but you look at the same thing, Scott taking away uh, the, the sickening thing is a lot of these stories. Do you start with a pastor or youth pastor counseling? And so they private Jack Scott said he was taking her to pray with her. Um, you know, there's, um, 
the case I just covered out of uh, Faith Baptist Church of Wildemar, which is about an hour from me, um, the youth pastor's office was in a corner of the church, isolated, solid wood door, and would counsel teens with the door shut. And it's 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 a it's it's two it's two big things. One, it's when you have someone in an unquestionable position of authority, not a position of authority in general, but when you have, you know, one problem with the independent side of independent Baptist is there is a lack of accountability. And so, um, and even within the church, when you have, you don't have a true plurality of leadership, you know, whether that looks like multiple pastors or having elders or deacons who can question when you have one man who is the figurehead of the church and what he says goes, who is the person who's going to go up and say, Hey, why'd you shut the door? You know what I mean? You don't have that, that role. And then also, I think you ha- you have to understand this is a abuse has a process of grooming. And in the case of of Ryder with uh, with David Hiles, um, he began grooming her a year before um, he actually started taking like strong action, um, and assault actually began. So uh, same thing with the case with Cameron Giovanelli recently. And I'm, I know I'm just referencing a lot of names, but I mean, people can research each one if they want to, but, but like Cameron Giovanelli um, was with a girl who didn't even understand sex at 15 and took advantage of her lack of education and his position and said, you know, Hey, you're supposed to do this for me as the man of God, you're supposed to do this. I'm supposed to help you through these things. And, and, it's it really it's just a lack of accountability and it's also a it's a power any any situation of rape abuse um anything like that is always comes back to power whether you're talking about a church yeah. or not and so when you have guys from the pulpit who have you know 300 400 you know thousands of people shouting amen and worshiping everything they say um they're going to start feeling like hey i can do anything and yeah. so it draws, it, unfortunately, it draws the wrong kind of people. And I think, Eric, something that we have seen, especially for those of us on Twitter, you know, guys like IFB Preacher Clips, and they're posting these things. You see some of these uh, pastors, that grooming even happens from the pulpit in things right. that they say and things that they're, quote, preaching. You know, uh, there's there's things that they're laying down uh, that... Uh, you know, in a in a very the behind the pulpit is the authority. Like this is the word from God that I'm telling you. And so what I'm telling you in my back office, I'm also saying out here in this very pastoral preaching voice tone. And so you need to take this as truth. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he said that his wife asked him when she was an adult after they got married, asked him, What is this extra insight that God gives you when you read the Bible? Mm-hmm. And he was like, what are, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, I've grown up in church and in independent Baptist world. And she said, I just have always heard that I can never read the Bible and get the level of insight that you're getting as a pastor. And he said, he said, babe, yeah, I don't get any more insight than you get. It's the exact same Holy Spirit and that speaks to me. I just am called to present it. Yeah, I was actually studying yesterday and I was talking to Jesse. And I said, Jesse, do you ever read the Bible? And you know you have to preach Sunday, and your brain is mush. Like you're you're looking at the words, and none of it's making any sense, and and you're struggling. Not only do we not have additional insight, I would say we have the same struggle that everyone else has. That uh, God's word doesn't come uh, often easy, and uh, and you know just 
to speak back to this other point of accountability, I think, you know, one thing that I, I hope everyone understands, and Eric, I know you would, you would trumpet this, that right. just because there are these pastors that are in the limelight for abuse, it does not speak for the pastoral community as a whole. And I think most pastors would agree with me that it's absolutely nauseating and it makes me incredibly angry. Yeah, I heard Billy Graham one time answer a question when a journalist asked him about the many cases of abuse in pastors and great pastors that fell. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, did you hear about the plane that crashed yesterday and name the flight number? And she said, yes, I do. I did hear about that. He said, let me ask you about the other millions of planes that took off across the world yesterday. Did you hear anything about any of them? And she said, no. And he said, that's how it is in the in the Christian world and in the church world. There are millions and millions and millions of faithful pastors serving faithful churches, but we always hear about the ones that fall, and we hear about the ones that mess up. And I'm not trying to minimize the ones that do fall, because it's a big no. deal and it should be exposed. But I do love that all four of us have found our way back to faith, have found our way into being involved in church on a high level, and uh we haven't lost our faith in God because people have fallen. Right. And I will say, and not to necessarily push back, I just want to say this because I think this is something that gets lost in the conversation. And um, the people, people have reached out and said, you know, are you saying all, I, I constantly get that every episode I say anything and say, this is a problem. So are you saying all IFB are racist? All IFBs are, are, are child molesters, all this no, I'm not saying that. And there are good people. I've met, I mean, I'm friends with people who are still within that movement. The only thing I would say is in regards specifically to the IFB is there are a lot of pastors who obviously would not be okay with some of these cases going on. Like there, yeah, that goes without saying, you know, but what I will say though, is some of the things that fuel this type of abuse does come from the pulpit, whether directly or indirectly. And so um, when you're looking at it from a church like theology or philosophy level, having having poor theology or poor philosophy can fuel abuse. So that's why yeah. you'll see a good pastor with a youth pastor who used the freedom given to him by the senior pastor to engage in abuse. So I, I want to be clear when I do say, oh, there are some good churches in that are good people in that. Yeah. I think even the ones that are good and would never stand for something like that, I think they need to still examine some of the theology they may have taken from a guy that they may look up to still like a Jack Hiles or someone and say, why did he do what he did? Yeah, many why, of them are using many yeah. of them are using a form of government or authority right. that lends itself to abuse. Exactly. Yeah, I think one of the most abused titles that that we see in that movement is this title man of God. Mm -hmm. I think I think guys live under that and it makes them the foremost authority on everything. I had a I had a friend once who had recorded uh, a very well-known uh, fundamentalist pastor who was lying to him and didn't know that he was being recorded. And this guy was recording the conversations just to keep up with all of the different variations of this lie that he was being told. And he asked me the question, how is it that he keeps lying to me? And I said, because he's not lying. He said, what do you mean? You just heard him say, you know, something different, something different, something different. Each time he's lying. And I said, no, in his mind, it's the truth because right. he said it. Yeah, right. It's that it's that it's it's almost the thing. And there are so many parallels to the, the Catholic Church 
world and the way that IV Church is run, but it's almost this thing of papal infallibility of, of if I say it, if the pastor says it, it is true, it's law. And it, it, like I said, like the lack of accountability, there are pastors I know who are the single, they're the head of the church. They, they run the church single-handedly, very pragmatically, who would never want something like this to happen, but they have to understand the form of leadership they're adopting is how people get involved in these kind of things. Yeah. And, and I want to interject one thing, because I think this is important to the, the conversation of Scott. This is an extreme example of, of where the using your position to manipulate goes. Um, and this is, this is how he did. I'm reading this out of the actual lawsuit, but I think this is helpful in understanding the mindset of abusers within leadership positions. Um, so Scott was involved with a, with a teenage girl taking her across state lines, doing counseling and texted her hundreds of times, like ongoing conversations, but he didn't do this. And this is again, important, important for people to understand. He didn't do this outside of his religious teaching. He used religious teaching to influence her, to mm. do what he wanted her to do. And so this is, this is one of the texts that he had sent to her. Um, this is Scott's words right here. So he says, through you, I felt very loved by God. I gave my heart when I was five. I gave my life when I was 17. And yes, I love him and know him and understand much about him. But sometimes I just need to quote, feel his love in a way that only he can provide. And this week through you, I felt his love. Mm. I can't mm. thank you enough. It's obvious Good. to me that God must trust you very much. He gave you the work of caring and ministering to his servant, just as the angel ministered to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. <sighs> Of course, you've been given enormous responsibility. The scriptures do not tell us what the angel said, how he arrived, or how he left. Apparently, no one knows this day, 2,000 years later, what happened. That's a very wise angel, and so are you. Um, and so, Eric, I was driving down the road listening to your podcast in Chattanooga when that aired, and I yeah. literally got sick. Yep. And yeah. it's it's crazy. And and it's it's something where like how do you as a teenager who's who's already going through the process of figuring out your body your mind your environment to have the person who's hailed as the man of god tell you that you're his angel trying to minister to him what are you supposed to do like what's your option at that that's point? a level of evil that i don't really even know how to Sick. define you're doing evil in god's name and using yes. god to excuse and, it and this yeah, is that's, a case that's, that's duplicated itself Right. And this is what happened with Cameron Giovanelli. This is what happened with, um, with Victor out of uh, Faith Baptist Wildemar. Like it's, it's, it's a very common way. But again, if you give someone this much power, they're going to, if they are the, the type of person who's interested in doing something like this, you know what I mean? It's, it's going to be abused. Yeah. And it goes without and, saying that this is going on now. There are churches right now. And we want to speak to anybody that is listening that sees an unhealthy form of government in your church. Your pastor goes, uh, he's above reproach, he's beyond any sort of authority, any questioning, any accountability. We want to see reform happen, which brings me to a question, Eric, that you ask your guest, and I want to ask it to you. Do you think it's possible to see reform in the IFB movement? So I I. I don't want to jump over the question because I've answered on the show before. I don't think there's hope for reform of the IFB movement as we know it today. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that um, is not because I don't think, I think, I think any church or body has the ability to reform, 
but what I will say is reformation, it, it, it acknowledges the idea that what it was started as was a good thing. So you're reforming it back to something good. And I think the IFB movement, as we know it today, and what really made it mainstream and where most of these churches draw roots to are guys like Jack Hiles and mm. First Baptist Church of Hammond. It's Bob Jones University. It's, it's, these, it's these organizations where the guys who were leading them were filled. I mean, you look at the racism of Bob Jones University. You look yeah. at the – which he was defending in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you look at the – you look at a guy like Jack Hiles, like Jack Hiles really is like, I know that we could talk about John R. Rice. We could talk about the messy history of like what really kicked it off. But I think it goes without saying Hiles is what really created fundamentalism as we know it today. Yeah. And I, I think if we're trying to reform it back to that, I have to say like, what's changed it, nothing's really changed from how it started. Yeah. So there's really not much to reform it back to. I think if it's going to be reformed, we need to, demolish what's there and say what was the church in the new testament yeah it needs to reform back to that. scripture i think too seeing how the guys circle the wagons anytime anyone pushes back on on the theology uh, anytime you ask a poignant question i know me personally um, i receive calls that are incredibly negative uh, i receive messages that are negative um, i've been referred to as Judas, uh, by the sword of the Lord writers, I've been attacked simply because I came out of fundamentalism on the basis of the scripture and simply asking biblical questions regarding that religious tradition, you are absolutely ostracized. Yeah. And I know there's groups right now trying to create a better independent Baptist movement. And yet one of the guys that they actually held in high esteem and interviewed this past week this guy is one of the guys who had me um, removed from a re meeting that I was supposed to be preaching in because he and all of his followers were going to boycott that meeting. So there has to be honest openness. You know, I'm not right. This is not right. What I've been preaching is not right. What I've been living is not right. What I've been defending is not right. I don't see that happening. And obviously, we're four guys who have left yeah. the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. So obviously— right. We don't necessarily say, hey, there, there can't be branches of it and parts that can come back. But as a whole, I would tend to agree with you, Eric, that it's, it's a broken system. And I don't know that we need to get back to fundamentalism of the 20s or 30s. I think we need to get back to New Testament Christianity. Amen. That's good. Hey, Eric, I'm just curious. What do you tell others, those that are on your show, who have given up on church, on God, as a result of their bad church experience? Do you... Do you tell them, do you give them any hope? Do you offer any hope? Or is it just at a platform to kind of throw out the bad that's happened? Yeah. So in the context of the show, um, you know, it's, it's primarily the, the main goal is to let them speak and share their story. Yeah. And then I explain it like the, the, the abuser has held the microphone for the last 60, 70 years, good. whereas the victim hasn't had a microphone until, you know, the last couple of years with some of the, some of the articles that have been written, some of the podcasts. I'm not saying that I started that, like there was great reporting from Sarah Smith out of Texas a year ago. There's been series done about the, the church and, you know, first Baptist that was done by uh, the Chicago newspaper there. Um, so on the show, on the show, what I encourage people to do primarily is to keep and and I've, I don't want I, like I said, I don't want to be primarily evangelistic on the show because I don't want to, 
I don't think most of the people I'm talking to are ready for that conversation at all at that point. Mm-hmm. The, the, the conversation at that point is like, I'm barely pushing past this trauma that happened. And I want to be respectful of that. Um, I do bring up my faith when it is brought up. Um, but I try to just be a passive, I'm, I'm facilitator in the show. Um, what I do find myself saying, and it's, it's funny because it like, you can't really keep your Christianity from speaking up, but like one of the biggest things that I talk about is one of the defining tenets of a cult is when you can't question anything. Mm -hmm. And what I encourage every guest to do is to, you know, I ask them if they left their faith behind, if they're still, and most of them say, I'm still trying to figure out where I stand with all of this and trying to dig through it. And my, plea with everyone is not to ignore the spiritual side of themselves because that's a dangerous place to be. That's a, that's 50% of 80%, 90% of who we are as human beings is that spiritual side. So you can't neglect that. What I always tell people though, is, you know, I'll say, you know, I'm still an Orthodox Christian. I've, my theology looks very different than what I grew up with. But what I will say is by me, if, if something is true, the more that I question and test that thing in search of the truth, I don't have to worry about it suddenly being damaged. You know what I mean? So if I say, if, if something is true, if Christianity is true and someone researches Christianity all day long, they're never going to find something that makes it less true. It's going to become more and more visibly clear. Yeah. And so I just encourage people be open-minded, search the truth out like earnestly and don't let something that bad that happened to you, stop you from that search. Yeah. Well, because what I'm- most people yeah, what most people do is just cut off the search completely, which is uh, which is not the right way to go about it. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that about you, Eric, that you are doing what God has called you to do. And it may look a little different than what he's called us to do, but it's amazing how all of these things are working together. And I don't want to get off the air. We're starting to wrap this show up, but I don't want to go off the air without coming back to the little uh, thing that maybe you accidentally dropped on one of the last few episodes that you do possess a reformed card. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I caught that dude driving down the road. I was like, whoa, he just said that. I was curious where you, which, which thing that I dropped. I was like, <laughs> I hinted a lot of things on the show. Um, yes. Uh, yes, I do. I do possess that. Um, <laughs> and I think that's uh, awesome, man. I, I, all the people you said you read, our stories are very, very similar. So I love that about you. I love that that was the question. I was like gearing up for something. I was like, oh, <laughs> man, what do I have to talk ball, about? <laughs> yeah, as we're wrapping up, one thing I would love to say, Eric, uh, Nathan, JC, I frequently remind people just because a man has failed you doesn't mean that Jesus has failed you. You know, the one person we can point people to that will never fail is Jesus. And, um, you know, he's Savior, Protector, mm. Lord. He loves us in complete, absolute purity for our good, for his glory. And um, I think, you know, a great thing to say is men like Jack Scott, Jack Howells, they represented themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, True representatives of Jesus Christ are going to love in a way that honors him. And that means loving people with respect and with dignity. And so I just, you know, I love to point people to the fact just because a man fails or just because you see me fail, that doesn't mean that Jesus has failed. We can always trust him. That's good. And as we close, Eric, uh, I want to go ahead and, and pray for you because I believe God has called you to a very high calling. And I do believe that you are a part of the healing process. And we pray that we are as well. So I want to 
pray blessing over your life and ministry right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this conversation. And Lord, I pray through this conversation that there would be some healing that would happen in people's lives. And Lord, right now, I pray for Eric and for his family, for protection over them, for wisdom. Lord, you told us to ask for wisdom, and you said that you would provide that uh, liberally. So, Lord, I pray that you would give him more wisdom and direction. And Lord, I know that you are already leading him to a place that he can reach people that no one else is set up to reach right now. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless him, protect him. Lord, I pray for the people who need the ministry that he is providing right now, that you would uh, just allow them through supernatural ways to hear and come across this podcast. And Lord, continue to bless that. And God, our whole goal and drive behind everything that we're all doing is for your kingdom to advance. We want Jesus Christ's name to be glorified in his world here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I thank you for this time together today. Thank you for these men. I pray that you continue to be with us. And we ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Eric, thanks for being on with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys. Let so us much know where we can find where we can find your podcast. Uh, the best place to find info would just be Preacher Boys Doc. That's PreacherBoysDoc.com. And then I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The handle is at PreacherBoysDoc. Um, and then people can feel free. It's on the website. But if people want to email me, it's PreacherBoysDoc at gmail.com. So what is the time frame on the documentary? Can you share that? Yeah. So right now, the the structure of it is pretty laid out this the uh, actually the lawsuit really threw a wrench in my kind of uh, narrative of what the documentary will look like because that's a huge story mm-hmm. um but um we're still i'm still looking to release it the early 2021 um i've got interviews lined up with i think most of the key people that i want to talk to uh for the documentary um i'm just trying to figure out the documentary was just going to start with like a very traditional opening and now you know, there's a loss, a, a RICO allegation against one of the largest founding churches of the movement. And so that kind of, I can't just not cover that. So, right. um, so we'll see how that structures, but I'm hoping early 2021, this is a one man endeavor as far as like the, the cutting and filming and all that stuff. Um, while I'm also running two podcasts and uh, a business. So, <laughs> so it's a lot to throw on, but, um, but early 2021 um, and I'm, I, I've got a lot of really good interviews with some people that are, I mean, the stories on the show have been awesome, but I think those, those interviews are really going to uh, enlighten people quite a bit. That's awesome. We're looking forward to it, man. Thanks for being on with us. Hey, we want to thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We also want to thank our sponsor, J Radio. Uh, It is a online digital music platform that you can go and hear some great music from Casting Crowns, Brian's favorite, uh, to so many others. And uh, it's just a great opportunity for you to hear some awesome music at any time of the day or night. It's jradio.com or download the app here in just a few weeks. All right, Brian, Nate. Eric, love you guys, and I hope y'all oh, have man. a great week. Go heels! Oh man, he had to bring that up. But we can't let we can't we cannot it. let him go off that. So <laughs> you got to go to the Tar Heels game with your boy, right? Yes, Tar Heels versus State. We beat State. It was glorious. That's awesome. You remember when uh, Duke was at Chapel Hill just a few weeks ago and won at the buzzer? Yeah, yeah. I go Duke. <laughs> ah, go Hoyas. Uh, I also remember when North Carolina State was at 
Duke and, and Wake. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. D- it's not our year. <laughs> we, we both had kind of a tough struggle. It's all right. Hey, baseball's coming. Go Braves. <laughs> That's it. All right, guys. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you back here on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast next time. Peace. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your T-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.